listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. With such an extensive resume, it's extremely hard to pick a favorite Gabrielle Union performance. She stacked up a whopping 91 IMDb acting credits over the years. But Gabby's credentials stretch far beyond acting these days. She runs her own production company called I'll Have Another and is a two-time New York Times best-selling author and is an entrepreneur with her own hairline, two baby care brands, and has written a series of picture books inspired by her youngest daughter, Kavya. With all this going on, I was happy to catch up with Gabby and chat about her new rom-com, The Perfect Find, which she produced and stars in. We also discuss her early career, the struggles and lessons she learned along the way, and how at 50, there's nothing to do but lead with truth and honesty and certainly a good dose of humor. I'm here with Gabby Union. I mean, I guess that's your handle. I always refer to you as Gabby. It's great to see you again. It's good to see you, yes. Um, and catch up a little bit. We were just talking about when, the first time I met you when I was at Vanity Fair, and I can't really remember when it was, but it was a while ago. And then I found a picture of you and I on the internet, you know that thing, the internet. You, me, and Dania Ramirez in like 2005 at some party. That's right. I was like, this is receipts. I love Listen. it. We were out. I have no idea. Actually, my podcast producer found it, and I was like, wow. Oh, you know, and we were cute. I mean, you were real Listen, cute. And Dania's a great time. We were probably yeah. raging. It was yeah. a very good time. <laughs> but it's great to see you again, and I'm great to. I always admired your energy and your intelligence and the way that you have shape-shifted through this industry and have always had, you know, you've always been able to claim your power kind of wherever you are, but I feel like now it's just like all singing, it's like a symphony where it's all happening at the same time and I'm so excited for you and I'm so excited to see what's coming next as opposed to like relitigate what came before because I think you're in just entering your most interesting decade even though you're already an icon I don't mean to diminish no, any no, of the other stuff you're, you're or the 70 things on IMDB or whatever it is that you've done and the two books and and all of it but um let's talk first about your movie that you have coming out right now on Netflix yeah. The Perfect Find so um, what I liked about rom-com, of course, you feel like you're you're getting into it. You're like, oh my God, it's Gab, she's in this. I know I'm gonna enjoy it. But what I loved is from the opening minute, the second, you know that it's just really honest and real vulnerable. And I love that idea of starting a kind of female protagonist from the point of view that she's been canceled. We don't really know what happened, but mm -hmm. we know it's been bad. Mm -hmm. She's been canceled, something real bad happened. And I just loved, um, starting the movie off that way. But for you, at this point in your in your life and career and everything you have going on, why did you want to play Jenna? What was in it for you? Oh my gosh. Um, it, it all sprang from a different, a different project. I uh, had optioned my girlfriend Robin Lee's book, The Idea of You, and um, you know, we, we were able to take it out and set it up really quickly and got Annie Hathaway to, to star in it. And I was like, I, I, I I would like to, to do something like this. And um, I ran into Tommy Oliver at lunch and he was like, have you read The Perfect Find? And I was like, oh, Tia Williams, yeah. Like, I, you know, I think I have the book at home. And I did, I just hadn't gotten to it from my, my, my literary stack. Mm -hmm. I loved it and I loved how honest Tia described what it is to be a woman of a certain age who experiences a setback not of her own doing. 
and how she has to pick herself up and pivot. And I especially loved the ending and how messy the, the book ending is and perhaps controversial. And so Tommy was like, well, we could take it to AGC. And we took it to AGC and they're like, yes, we're in. And then we went to Netflix and they're like, you had us said hello. And it was such a beautiful experience from start to finish. Um, and, it, and it really sprang from just loving books that center, you know, women mm -hmm. over 40. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Giant audience, you yeah. know that, right? Giant demographic that, yeah. that love movies and buy things and read books and, you know. Are alive. Contribute to the economy, all yeah. that. Well, let's talk about Numa Perrier, right? Yeah. Because I say this to listeners and, and to you out there, if you haven't seen Jezebel, watch yes. it, her first feature film. Tell me about what it was like to work with her and that kind of experience for you. Obviously, it's not often. There's not a lot of female directors, let alone women of color, let alone, you know, um, that in that project, I'd love to know from your POV how different it was or what your experience was. Yeah, I had uh, I had seen Jezebel and I have a running list, you know, part of my many jobs is being a, a producer and, and always wanting to make sure that I am clocking new, uh, new talent. And so I had written her name down because I had loved Jezebel and I wasn't sure if she was more of an actor or more of a director. I wasn't sure where her passions uh, lied. And so when we were putting together our director list for, you know, who could potentially come in and, and kill this for us, I threw her name in and everyone was like, yeah. And it was like a slow clap moment. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, yes, yeah, no, no, okay. And then she came in and gave us her take and it, it blew us away. And I was so proud, you know, like I like, wanted to give her like a high mm -hmm. five. Um, but yeah, that's how it started. And from day one, she put her stamp on on the genre, really. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I've done a few uh, mm -hmm. rom-coms in my day. And it's, you know, it, it can be formulaic at times. And she rejected that notion um, and inserted some of her passions, like being a black cinephile mm -hmm. and a lover of all things, um, you know, black cinematic history. And she put it all in there. And it was, it just gave it a different sauce. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, and then we set out to, you know, populate the rest of our production. And every person, when they heard it was Numa directing, was like, oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Janet, you know, Hubert, who, you know, was, was, is such a phenomenal talent, but has been, you know, perhaps done a little wrong by the industry, a little, by a little, I mean a lot. Yeah. Um, and she needed to make sure that she felt safe and, and protected and, and comfortable. And it was very telling that the first day she was crying because we had a black, an all black hair and makeup team. And people, you know, our wardrobe department had inclusive sizing. Mm -hmm. And she just felt seen and valued and taken care of. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, this is day one. This is amazing. And mm -hmm. that stems from Nima. Well, I have to say the double Dutch scene yeah. is unbelievable. I won't spoil it, but it's such a great scene. Both times it appears, I love seeing that. But for me, being a, a cinephile and movies are my life, to see those references were amazing. Um, and also in the in my past life in magazines, editor, like all the scenes in a magazine, oh. that was <laughs> delicious. All of that kind of like the fashion, this you know, the it was really, really, really fun. But I have to say it was so effective where the, she cut to the black and white images 
of women, of those icons. And it just all worked so beautifully. And then the homage to uh, Diana Ross and Mahogany with the dress. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. It's a I was just like, yeah. oh, my God, I see what she's doing. So I loved participating as an audience member in that and in the, in the journey. It was great. And the, uh, you talk about discovery. Keith, he's a discovery. He's the best. Um, yeah, and luckily I had seen Keith because I was watching Lala. I was, watching, I was supporting Lala as she was... Um, in, she had been cast in the New Edition story. And Keith played uh, Ronnie DeVoe. Mm. And, and Ronnie DeVoe, this is like how small that our world is. So Ronnie DeVoe, you know, lifelong member of New Edition, is married to Shamari, who was one of the cheerleaders from the singing group Black that was in mm. Bring It On. So I've known like everyone forever. And it, it you know, finding Keith and realizing, oh, he's, oh, he's got that thing, he's got it. Um, and so I hit law. I was like, what, what's, the story? what's the real story on Keith? Mm -hmm. Like, does his clock have 24 hours? Like, what's going on? And she was like, he is a doll. And uh, yeah. And then, like, you know, just over time running into him. So when his name came up, I was like, is it too perfect? Is, mm -hmm. it, is it too on the nose? And he was everyone's choice. And we, I, it's like there was part of us that w wanted to make it somehow more difficult than it needed to be. And it's like, he's the right one. Yeah, no, he is. Your He's chemistry, the one, you know, your chemistry like, is great, he, and he does pop. And I, I was saying to him when I saw him out there, I was like, to hold his own against you, Gina, everybody. He did a great job. That's Nina Mae McKinney, star of Hallelujah, first all-black film in 1929. They called her the Black, black Garbo. Garbo. Yeah. She does kind of favor me, though. You think? Yeah, same cheeks. Thank you kind of obsessed with her. I mean, she was such a trailblazer, and I don't know, I just love old Hollywood movies. Likewise. It's like time traveling to a version of humanity that could have never imagined us. Look at you. Seriously, I've, I've never met anyone who knows anything about Nina May. Part of it, you know, these days is thinking about how different people that are cast how, what, what, what is the impact that they, that, they've, that they leave or have left, right? And you don't want to make people have to work harder mm -hmm. as, as audience members to buy in. And the way that Keith loves his girl, Ryan Destiny, and her chocolateness, and it, it allows the, the audience to immediately buy in mm -hmm. that, you know, a, a, a gentleman that looks like Keith. Um, could also love a black woman well, because mm -hmm. he does it in real life. Mm -hmm. And that was really another ingredient in the secret sauce. Mm -hmm. oh, that's great, well, good casting on that. He's got a bright future ahead yeah. of him. So you are also a producer in this, right? So on that day, when you, when you start, you talk about that first day, what's the most rewarding moment for you when you know you're going to act and you're also producing and you're like, where, what, 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 where's the satisfaction come from? Keeping my ear to the street, right? So I can't align myself with what's happening in Video Village. That is not my area of expertise. Y'all got that. I need to know how the, the crew feels. Do they like the food? Mm -hmm. Are there checks on time? Like, you have to make sure that you are creating a great environment for everyone. 
I don't play about people's money. So like, I'm gonna chase down your check. I'm a, I'm, I will be at the payroll department, like whatever you need, that is what I'm good at. Um, so always having my ear to the ground and learning what is really happening from the third person on the call sheet on down, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that, that is what keeps the train on the tracks on productions. And that is what I'm great at. And mm -hmm. that there's nothing better than hearing a, a challenge that is posed and coming up with a reasonable, efficient solution that allows for joy and creates space for even more creativity um, because people feel taken care of. Mm -hmm. How, what's one of the hardest lessons you, you learned in your career coming up on that giant IMDb page that you have where you were, I mean, you, you've been in an episode of every show ever, right? From West Wing to Friends to like, I mean, I was looking at this thing, it's amazing, as well as starring in in giant films. So for you, what was one of the, some of those early lessons that now you take with you when you're oh. working? <laughs> uh, yeah, that there are always going to be people that want to watch you win. And the thing that we tend to like key in on are the negative comments or the people. And it, it makes us, you know, gives us blinders for, you know, the people who are like, I'm your biggest cheerleader and like, I can help you. And being okay with accepting help, right? Um, the audience has no idea how you got to the end of that performance. No. They, they're just entertained or they're moved. So it's okay to ask for help. No one expects you to have every answer to every departmental problem. Um, and it's okay to say no. Mm -hmm. If it's, if you didn't like, you know, the audition process, or that didn't feel safe or comfortable. If you didn't like how they negotiated with you, that's probably a pretty solid indication of the experience you're gonna have on that production. And it's absolutely okay to say no. And it's also not gonna close the door to other opportunities that come to you. Actually being very clear about what your boundaries are and how you will and will not be treated. Um, it just allows for more clarity. So they know if they're getting you, there's certain expectations that you have. All right, I'm gonna take you back a little bit, oh, right? Geez. It's my okay. favorite thing. This is what I do on Skip Intro. We talk, we go back a little bit, okay. right? So, um, and of course I had to do a deep dive and I loved, uh, I loved, uh, you know, reminding myself of who Gabrielle Union is and that's Bark um, that we all saw, whether it was in Bring It On or whatever the first thing that anybody saw you in. But, um, you talked about wanting to be chosen, which I thought was so fascinating that as a, as a young person, as a teen, kind of finding your own id, it was, you know, you would enter these contests and, you know, obviously you were very, you know, attractive. People must have told you you're beautiful, you should do this, you know, and you didn't get it. You didn't get chosen and you just kept doing it. And I find that so, I, I want you just to go into that kernel a little bit and talk to me about like when 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 did that turn a little bit for you and when did you finally feel chosen uh oof. and this is like modeling you're entering contests yeah, and stuff like that I mean, or commercial auditions right I just Casting wanted calls. it so badly and it's and it's beyond just being chosen for a role it's feeling like i was chosen because I was attractive mm -hmm. or like, you know, I didn't care if you thought I was a good actor. I just wanted to know that someone outside of my parents thinks I am cute, attractive, lovely, whatever. And so I just kept searching. And whether it was modeling searches that, you know, for the low, low price of $2,500, yeah. you can be a 
John Robert Powers model. Um, and I was like, mom, pay it. Uh, screw the mortgage. Yeah. I just wanted it. I wanted to be thought of as, as cute. And whether it's auditioning for music videos, oh, I didn't care. Bring a hundred of your closest friends and I will look like Jiminy the Cricket mm. um, as I, you know, try to convince you that I'm attractive. Probably the opposite effect. Um, and then I started booking and I was like, oh, okay. And then there was a job where they were like, yeah, you didn't get it because you're just, you know, she's just prettier than you. And for someone who only wants, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of validation for your looks, it, it, it just robbed me of my confidence, my joy. I just felt like I was exposed as hideous. And what do you do with that? And I was like, maybe should I take acting lessons? I don't know. Like, do I have to pivot now? Mm -hmm. um, and even though I was, you know, covers of magazines and, and all these jobs and, you know, the, the pay is going up, I just still wanted that someone's eyes on me saying, you got this because you are amazing and beautiful and da da da. And it just, that, that literally never happened. And then someone suggested I talk to a therapist because um, maybe there's some daddy issues. And the more I started <laughs> unraveling, here I am for all of these years projecting that, that soul wound um, from my childhood onto every casting director, mm -hmm. producer, writer, director, like what? Maybe I need to, to, to get right with my father as an adult person. Mm -hmm. And we just started having conversations. Like, why did you never tell me I was pretty? And he was like, pretty doesn't pay the bills. You're black. I'm black, your mom's black, your grandparents are black. We didn't come from shit. I came mm -hmm. from the projects. Being pretty never helped any one of us. So I encourage, I thought I was encouraging you to be a great athlete, to be a great student, you know, to be a great person. And I was like, damn. Um, I mean, how do you come back from that? Just out of curiosity. I took it, right. you know, like, hmm. And I was like, I, I see how you got to this point. And that kind of got me through. It was almost like a Band-Aid on a gusher, got me through a little bit and stayed in therapy. And then you start asking questions about your grandparents. What were they going through that this is the kind of thing that they poured into your parents? So then they poured that into you. And the more I got into breaking ancestral trauma bonds, the more I very recently have just been like, I don't think it's possible to truly love yourself completely when you're addicted to being chosen. Mm -hmm. And so the more I've just leaned into self-love and self-realization, I, I don't really, I can't be invested in your opinion of me or anyone's opinion of me. My truth just is. And it's none of my business how anyone else reacts or responds to my truth. Mm -hmm. And it has freed me from the constant need to be validated by a man, a job, uh, an opportunity, a cover, uh, whatever. I'm good in every hood being exactly who the hell I am. And at some point, that's enough.
and I'm finally at 50, like, oh yeah, <laughs> How are you with your children and especially your daughters? Are you telling them they're beautiful? Because they are, but are you, they may not think it. I mean, are you telling that to them all the time? Yes. Um, now my older kids, they'd have been like, what, when was this? Um, I was I was hard on them because my dad was hard on me. Mm -hmm. And being a stepmother is such a weird place. You don't really know what your lane is. Mm -hmm. You don't really know what the expectations are. And when I realized that, no, you your job is to be a consistent adult presence in their life. And in my my idea of what a what a real you know solid adult uh, woman provides is discipline. And I was perhaps addicted to discipline and order and schedules and anything that deviated from that just felt like the whole world was gonna end. Again, therapy. Like, what is it about that kind of, you know, this is for the older kids, Bobby Knight discipline that my dad subscribed to is helpful for these kids. And I had to acknowledge that it wasn't, and it was actually setting them back. Mm. And it was putting them in a cage that they, did, they didn't sign up for, nor did they need to be in. Um, and I, I just let, I started leading with love and grace and consideration and respect that they're whole ass people and they do have opinions mm -hmm. and they should have a say so in how their lives play out. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I just leaned into that. And so by the time, you know, Zaya uh, was claiming her identity, you know, there's that fear of, oh my gosh, what is this gonna mean? Mm. Like, it, it, is her, did, did her life just shrink? Did it get so big it's beyond control? And again, I'm using my finger quotes here. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, how would you have wanted your parents to, to deal with you? What does that dream scenario look like in retrospect? And I just gave her all of the things I felt like I was denied. And that has worked for us. And so by the time Cobb comes around, we're cooking with, we're like seriously cooking with fish grease. And we just lead with love affirmations and recognizing that they are whole ass people um, who would like to be heard and understood and seen. And having their feelings taken into consideration doesn't mean that you have become a doormat. It actually means that you are so firmly um, secure in your place as a parent that you can listen. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. You can actually listen and consider that your child might wanna have a say. And I'm not talking, can she wear, you know, crop tops to church or, you know, I'll let your grandma do that. But like, if you don't wanna eat salmon or sushi, okay, don't eat it. Like, whereas my family would have been like, you're gonna sit there with that food and, you know, it's so generational, come. though, too. It yeah. was like it's a. I mean, it, that is is kind of a generational thing, too. It's amazing. I mean, I will say, um, the Kavya's Mother's Day post uh, should win an award. 
That should go you get a Peabody if it can. I mean, that is her social media. I know, obviously, you and, and Dee do that, but it is. Oh no, it's Shady just me. Baby. It is just it's, me. It's all you. It My is... husband had exactly one turn doing a post, <laughs> and it was a daddy appreciation post after a, a great game. And I was like, what we're not going to do is turn this into, my daddy had a great game, look at this stat line. No, sir, you've lost your privileges. So it's, it is just me. Um, but we were, you know, she was styling my braids and, and uh, we were talking about, she was like, well, if you wanna be pretty, you have to look like a princess. And, um, and you have to have a princess dress and princess shoes. And I was like, what if mommy could be like a princess that wore pants? And when I tell you, all hell broke loose. My child is firmly committed to all the gender roles and it doesn't matter what we say or watch in our house, she's been indoctrinated and she believes it. Yeah. And I was like, what, what if kings could wear whatever they want and they don't have to wear pants? And you could just see her brain like, no. And I said, you know Queen Latifah. I said, she's a real life queen. Yes, I lied. But for my point, Queen Latifah wears tracksuits. Mm -hmm. She wears shorts, she wears pants, and she's still a queen. And she goes, Kav goes, that's different. <laughs> so I, yeah, it's, um, it, it never ends. And mm -hmm. your kids are who they are. And Kav loves a Bible verse. That's her jam. She mm -hmm. memorizes couplets every two weeks and she performs them in front of her class. So her public speaking is like on point. So anyway, so we're doing our hair, my, you know, she's doing my hair and I'm, we're having this debate. And she says, mommy, you have to stop joking like this. I was like, I'm not joking, but like, who told you that, a, that, a, that if you think I'm lying, that that's a joke, but we're gonna get to that. Um, and then finally what they, what we caught was her saying like she'd had it. And she was like, if you keep up with this, I'm gonna have to get a new mommy. And I, I don't want to, but I will. It's amazing. It was amazing the way she just was like, while she was multitasking with your hair, just being like, let me know, let, let me tell you right now, like whatever is going on is gonna serving me. No, not, How not old is she now? I don't Four and a half. Oh my gosh, she's beyond. And we couldn't wait for her to talk and now beyond yeah she's trying to trade me in on mother's day so good how has it been um since uh Dwayne retired like how has that been i think initially going into retirement and a pandemic yeah was jarring for him to be like oh so every day you guys are gonna be here oh okay right yeah you have an opinion about about everything okay yeah let me let me lean into that um so yeah it was a big transition for him but i think being so wanted for so many other mm -hmm. things that have nothing to do with being physically good at something that his brain was finally being acknowledged. Mm -hmm. he, uh, he started to soar in different ways and his evolution is, I, I'm, I'm also perhaps on the fence that maybe he was abducted by aliens and this new and improved, you know, Dwayne is, is a cyborg or he's just really leaned into therapy and evolution. And well, I love to see the evolution of the two of you together with him not being in the NBA anymore. And I love seeing you guys out and about and together. Cause I remember for years it was always, he was always at a game and I would just see you out 
Yeah. And he was always working and stuff. Well, it's been weird to share that space. Yeah. Like, we kind of have little mini battles on red carpets, you know, because he's found his side, uh, you know, since <laughs> retirement. And so I'm like, but you see the slit is on this side, so you got to be on this side. And he was like, but that's not my good side. So, you know, like, we, we've had to find it. And, and how do we share space in Hollywood together? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a journey. It's, it's a, a journey. journey. I just need to say this stuff out loud. Again, mm-hmm. activist, actress, producer, entrepreneur, two-time New York Times bestselling author for, by the way, the titles alone are genius. We're going to need more wine, and you got anything stronger, as well as all the stuff that you've done because of Kavya, right? Talked about fertility problems, talked about what it's like to raise a child of color, all the products that have come up, Shady Baby, the books you've written about it. All right, I didn't even mention the, the three children's books. At the end of the day, if I had to describe you in three words, or what, which one of these am I picking here? It's a litany of things. I would just say artist and a lover and a fighter for people. And mom, obviously, for, for your daughter. It's, kind of, it's amazing. So before I let you go, there's a couple things that the people need to know. Okay, Where yes. are we with Bring It On? I know it's been in development for yes. since the first one came out, essentially. It was going to yeah. go to Broadway. Uh, where are we in the Bring It On? Um, we are, we have been hearing pitches and there might be a pitch that everyone has landed on that everyone agrees with, maybe. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's development. And I think outside of Hollywood, people have no idea how long that takes and how it's, you're not paid for development Mm -hmm. for the most part. And it's just a long kind of painful process. And uh, I've had things that have been in development for seven, eight years that may never see the light of day. So I am hopeful that this will move quicker and, uh, and I don't know, finally maybe give the audience a little more of the Clover action and perspective. Oh. It is really one of those films that is timeless. People still are talking about it however many years later. Once a day. Right, you can see it at least once a day somewhere on social media. And it's the gift that keeps on giving. And what's awesome is that we had the best fucking time right. like, doing it. We had so much fun doing it. We are still lifelong friends, and it's been, what, 20 mm-hmm. some odd years. And everyone's gone. I, like, I think yeah. about you and Kirsten. I mean, look at you guys have amazing careers, and it, it's just so nice to see it, too. Yeah. Um, personally, I love that movie. I remember, remember my friend wrote it. I remember that premiere. Oh God, I um, remember my outfit. Oof. What was it? I don't remember. I, I, because uh, you know people weren't yeah. offering to style actresses in the same way. Uh, so I found a, 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 a gentleman who offered couture, which clearly I had no understanding of what that meant, um, and uh, you know, original pieces. Mm-hmm. And I bought in, oh my gosh, I'd like no one in the world is ever gonna have this outfit. And the day before the premiere, uh, Lisa Ray had had a version of the, the same outfit. And I was like, well, huh, I paid all this money for this, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that uh, some, someone who's way more sexy um, than I uh, has, has just won the day before. So yeah. Um, and, and that's what uh, I needed to learn, you know? Perhaps look up what does couture mean? Right. What does that mean? <laughs> Can you think of like the first time that you really felt when you were kind of coming up in the industry that you actually felt seen or heard or when you feel like it all kind of came together? 
It was probably the Bad Boys 2 European press tour. And Martin uh, didn't go. And it was me and Will and, and uh, Jerry Bruckheimer and, and Michael Bay. But now I have to carry, you mm. know, what, what would have been Martin. And I'm not known internationally. I'm, you know, uh, or that's what they said. And uh, we get to, I think it was Madrid. I think it was Madrid. And they had questions for me. And I was like, wait, how do they know about these other movies? Like my teen movies and all these things. And they were like, oh, bootleg is huge because they don't tell you guys that people of color actually have tremendous value overseas. It creates this like vortex of um, bootleg movies. And they're like, you're a bootleg queen. We watch all of your movies. And that's when I realized that like, maybe I can do this. Maybe I am being seen. And maybe they're putting blinders on some of those eyeballs on purpose. Because if we all knew our collective power and the people that we're reaching and how far our reach is, we might move differently. Mm -hmm. And um, so yeah, it was there where I was like, you know, I was the, I had to represent Martin. And I, I liked how I sounded. I liked how it felt. I liked, I liked that people knew me, you know, and had opinions. And um, yeah, I felt like I like arrived. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we were just talking before we started. People definitely know you and definitely have opinions. Oh, were, all kinds you, of opinions. You were trending on Twitter just yesterday about talking about paying 50% of, of um, your bills or whatever. I just found that so amazing in this day and age in the 21st century that that was uh, breaking news on Twitter. But. Uh, what are our short-term goals? We have another book in us. What I don't want to say the next decade. That's too far ahead. But yeah. like, you're uh, obviously busy with with your family. But what what are some other kind of bucket list things? Um, I, my, my wish, my hope, is that I can be a guinea pig to for more people nervous about claiming their truth and really experiencing freedom and redefining black excellence outside of, you know, a fiscal impact. That is really a, a huge passion of mine. I want to put more people to work across all industry. Um, but I want to find more things to discover about myself. And that's a whole operation in and of itself and to be open and not be jolted in reverse because someone has strong opinions about me paying 50% of my bills and that sometimes that can be stressful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Life. Um, but yeah, just making it easier for people to be 100% them and tasting that freedom and letting themselves out of their cage. Uh, so whether I do that through film or TV or art or uh, one of the different brands, um, a book perhaps, a podcast, I don't know. Um, but being open to not having a plan. Mm -hmm. And as it comes organically, leaning in or out and not being, feeling pressure because I got bills to pay. Because if my soul isn't being fed, having perfect credit and being up to date on your bills can still feel 
like you're on a, a never-ending treadmill that will not stop until you die. So yeah. And then they announced a movie today at Cannes, uh, Riff Raff, that I have coming up with uh, Brian Cox and Jennifer Coolidge and um, Dustin Hoffman and me. And I, I'm sure there's other people that are about to be announced, but those I think those are the ones that they... Nice, Riff Raff too, I like a little Riff Raff there. Yeah. That's, a, that's a fun cast. Yeah. All right, so this season on the uh, podcast, I always ask someone, uh, I ask every guest one question, uh, and I decided to go a little fun, a little bit more shallow this time. Instead Perfect. of talking about big, deep concepts, because that's all we were talking about before. So what do people say to you when they see you on the street? Oh, gosh. Um, did you bring it? Um, hey, Mary Jane. Um, me too. How did you get through infertility? Um, thank you. Fuck you. I haven't got one of those in a while, but it's happened. Um, yeah, sometimes they just hug. They just want to hug. And you, you can't tell. I used to think I could tell a bring it on or, you know, coming, but with cable and streaming and all of these projects you know, playing at different times and people finding them when they find them. Um, it's always very interesting. Um, I remember I was at a Heat game and uh, one of the Heat's longest season ticket uh, holders, Miss Miss Linda, uh, she had brought her friends, her girlfriends that she grew up with, and they could not wait to talk about being Mary Jane. Wow. I was like, and they, uh, Miss Linda is, is white and so are her friends. So I was just like, Huh, not the target audience, but curious what you, yeah, tell me, tell me. I am very curious. And what was, what I, what I didn't really understand was how universal the pain of career, um, being unseen, unappreciated, being the trauma mule, um, being the, the, the lifeline to your family, like how universal that is. And uh, yeah, and it was it was unexpected, but like it gave me a different understanding that you can make very specific art, um, but how they how and who receives it, you can't control that, nor should you. So and that's what we love about it was, art, it was right? Cool. Yeah. And that's what we love about it. That's why we do it, right? Is because mm -hmm. you never know how someone's gonna take it or respond to it or grow from it. Oh, I love it. Well, I'm here cheering for you always. Uh, you know that. Thank you so much for making the time. It's great to see you. And I want another book. I got a lot of demands. Listen, they've already been calling. I'm like, I got to live more, guys. More therapy. <laughs> more therapy because I, I got to be able to take the, the blows of 50-50? Yeah. You talk? You get to leave if you want to. Wait, same therapist from when you were young? 25 years. Wow, 25. that's a huge relationship, by the way. that uh, Tisha Campbell uh, paid for, I still have. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. 25 years. Wow. That's amazing. All right. Thank you, Gabby. No, thank Loved you. it. The Perfect Find is streaming now on Netflix. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Arricchio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hilton. 
please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to NetflixQ.com for more. That's NetflixQueue.com.